0: Father, this morning we just come to you. We just want to thank you, Father, for the privilege, the honor to be in your presence. Yes, though you say come boldly, confidently, we do not take it for granted. Because that privilege is not given to everyone. It's only given to children. and We were not born by the will of man. <clears throat> we are born by the will of God. And we did not choose you. You chose us. So this morning, even as we stand in your presence, I pray, Lord, that you would bless us for the hearing of the word. Because you said in the last days there would be a famine, a famine of the hearing of the word. Oh, Father, we do not want to be part of that famine. It's the worst famine that can be. We can lack many things in this world and yet survive and make it well into eternity, but not we are struck by the famine of the hearing of the word. The rich man lacked nothing, but he had one lack. He was struck by the famine of the hearing of the word. Lazarus lacked everything in this world, but he did not lack one thing that mattered. The hearing of the word. Oh, Father, help us to see what is really precious in your sight. So touch our ears this morning once again, that we hear what you are trying to tell us individually, what you are trying to teach us from the youngest to the oldest. And everyone around the globe listening, teach us, Lord. For in Jesus' name we pray. Amen, amen, amen. (coughs) This week we are with Nehemiah. Last week we were with Judges. Remember, when we are studying both these books, which the Lord laid upon my heart, because we are living in the times represented by both these books, the book of Judges, you see the cycle, Israel is going down. They go into this pit of doing evil in the sight of God. Okay. So because the Bible says, that's why the difference you need to look in the book of Judges. In the book of Judges, the Bible says, each man did what was right in his own eyes. So he did not think what he was doing was wrong. That it was evil in God's sight. It was evil in God's sight. Okay, That's why you have to put these two verses together in the book of Judges. Each man did what he thought was right in it. That's what's happening around the world. People do what they think is right in God's eyes and even in the church body of Christ, but it was evil in the sight of God. So what matters is that we have to do what is right in God's sight, and it only happens by faith. That's why we come for the hearing of the Word of God, because <clears throat> faith comes from hearing, faith comes from hearing, and hearing from the Word of God, okay? And then only when we walk by faith, that's the only way we can be right with God. Remember, there's no other way. So when we come to Nehemiah, we see it is different, but similar. This is the people who finally went so far away, God sold them into captivity. And here's the situation about Jerusalem, and he comes back to rebuild the walls. And that's what we are trying to do. We have, before we we talk about an outpouring, and we believe, I believe it's very close if it hasn't started, but we need to build to receive it. A city On which God's glory falls, which does not have any walls, will lose it very fast. Samson upon him came, one of the greatest anointings of God ever on a man. But the problem was, he had no walls. So, and you need to realize, God didn't take the anointing away. He never took the anointing away. He just threw it away. God never took it away. He threw it away. Okay, the Spirit of God left because He gave it up, gave it away. When his consecration was gone, the anointing left. Okay, so please remember, that's what we are looking. So we have covered six chapters in the book of Nehemiah, where he's rebuilding the walls of Jerusalem and repairing and hanging the gates back. And we saw what it means. The walls of Jerusalem is back, and gates are gates of praise. And you can have walls without gates. You can have incredible doctrine, fantastic doctrine like the Pharisees. Jesus said, listen to what they teach. But if you looked at a Pharisee, you want to be as far as you can see from them. Because there is no joy in their life. There is no praise in their life. It's all, it's all religion. It's all religion. Okay? And that's what God is talking about. We can have walls without gates. We can have gates without walls. And sometimes you see that on YouTube and all, everybody jumping, dancing and all. But you look at them, you know there are no walls at all. And God says, I don't want grace, gates without walls. I don't want walls without grace. When they come together, then you are safe. You have doctrine and you have life. Doctrine alone is not enough. You have doctrine and you have life. So that's what Nehemiah is doing, is coming back and building. So as we quickly go through six chapters in five minutes, Principles, what are the factors that enabled or helped Nehemiah to stand against all the pressures and the trials and the tests of his day? Because the principles are always the same. Okay, principles are all, the principles of God never change. The ways of God never change. So what is that it cost him to establish, stand there firm, one man standing there firm? The thing is that we know from Judges, uh, sorry, Nehemiah 6, he was aware of the magnitude of the great work God had entrusted him. Okay, He was aware of it. I mean, if you look at it with the physical eyes, he's left in the material world a great work to be the cupbearer of the emperor. And if you look with physical eyes, what is he doing? Building the walls of a broken down, uh, of a city. Broken down city. you're doing the work of a mason from a, let's look at it. Okay, from Kabir to the Emperor to a Mason in a broken down city. But his viewpoint was different. What he did, what he saw he was doing, he said it was a great work. That is the first principle we need to understand. Do we understand the work that we do? Okay, two things: the work that we do, and second, the work God does in us. We do we give that prominence. In Romans chapter 1, verse 14 to 16, this is how Paul looks at his ministry. I am obligated to both the Greeks and the non-Greeks, both to the wise and the foolish. This is why I am so eager to preach the gospel also to you who are at Rome. Why? Because I am not ashamed of the gospel because it is the power of God for the salvation of everyone who believes, first for the Jews and for the Gentiles. This is how he took his commission. He says, You know what? This is the greatest work I could have ever done in my life. Because the preaching of the gospel is the power of God for the salvation of everyone. In First Corinthians chapter 9, verse 16 and 17. This is how he puts it across again. For if I preach the gospel, I have nothing to boast of, for necessity is laid upon me. Yes, woe is me if I do not preach the gospel. For if I do this willingly, I have a reward. But if it's against my will, I have been entrusted with a stewardship. Okay. So he says, you know what, this is how I value. This is how I value. He saw his work that way. The question is, do we see our work that way? Do we witness? Do we testify? Do we proclaim the gospel? Not only that. Turn to First uh, Corinthians chapter 12, First Corinthians chapter 12. and verse four, five and six. There are diversities of gifts, but the same spirit the body of god is huge one body many parts and to every part a different gift is given okay diversities of gifts but it is the same spirit same spirit differences of ministries but the same lord okay different ministry like we talk about welcome ministry right welcome ministries then we have at the end of the service, after that we have, what do you call it? Uh, Pardon? Yeah, snacks or whatever, no? That's a ministry. And then we have, beginning with worship. Peter begins, or whoever begins with worship. It's a worship ministry. Then we have the ministry of the word. We have the ministry of prayer. We have the ministry. So many ministries are there. And the question is, whatever you are entrusted, it is the same Spirit and the same Lord and the same God diversities of activities in a church function, the sound is there. But the question is do we see it as a great work? Because the Trinity comes into it. The Spirit, Jesus and the Father comes into every work. Otherwise what will happen is that we will look at the pulpit and say that is the only great work. And my work is not counted. God says no, it is counted. Every work is great if you are doing it for God. Because it's the same spirit, it is the same Lord, and it is the same God. Unless we see, that's how Nehemiah saw. He says, you know what, building of this wall is a great work. Many people have said, how can you leave that job and come for this? Isn't that a great work? He says, no, this is a great work. This is a great work. Greater than standing before the emperor of Babylon is building the wall of Jerusalem. And that's what we are all doing. Everyone is doing whatever you are doing Sunday school. You look at the different ministries we have in the church. and Our church is much smaller. Bigger churches have bigger ministries, outreach, social, no? We do all this stuff. But you have to see the work that I do is great because of for one whom I am doing and for the one who is doing through me. Do we see it that way? Okay. In 2 Corinthians Chapter 11 and verse 2, Paul says, For I am jealous for you with a godly jealousy, for I have betrothed you to one husband that I may present you as a chaste virgin to Christ. Do we see the work that is done in us? Okay, we have had so many weddings over the years. Okay, and very, very rarely we have had a wedding where the bride has come on time. Very rarely. But every pastor excuses it. You know why? Because they know where she is. Where is she? She's at the beauty parlor. Because they know it is an important task. Nobody looks at the boy. Everybody is looking at the girl. Now God is saying, Do you see sanctification as a great work? It's a great work. Right? In our local tradition and all, the Telugu girl is washed in turmeric for days together. Right? Honestly, right? Why? Because it's part of your tradition. Turmeric is uh, considered almost divine. And which is, it is. It is one of the most healthiest things to add to your food. Right? She's not only being made fairer, she's also being (laughs) medically fit. Okay. Antiseptic all over. <laughs> okay. <laughs> and think of where did these concepts come from? I don't think they do it with the boys, do they? Nowadays maybe they have started with the boys also because boys also go sit there in the beauty parlor with cucumber peels in their eyes. Okay. <laughs> but old days it was all for girls. Okay, all for... Ask this question, where did this all this comes from? It is not that men don't need sanctification. But in so many ways, man represents Christ, who is already sanctified. Though men are not sanctified, he is a type of Christ. So Christ doesn't need sanctification. But the woman represents the church, and the church always needs sanctification. So as the church, men and women are in one category, we need sanctification. But do we see that as a great work? See, like I said, no, we do not value what God really values. If we value, we will see that it's a great work. Why don't people come to the hearing of the word of God or even if they are busy at the end of the day, why is that some tune in every day and most don't because they do not see the work that God does through the word. It is by the cleansing of the water of the word that sanctification is a great work. It doesn't matter how much time you spent on it, how much energy you spent on it, how much much of your life you pour into it, one day the dividends will be paid. When Christ says, you're part of my bride and you, I'm sorry, for the you are in the guest list. You are on the guest list, but you are on the bride list. And we realize, Lord, thank you. It was not a waste. That is why we do all these things by faith. Faith is the evidence of things. What are you hoping for? We talk about a hope of glory. What is the hope of the church or an individual member in the church? Lord, Ultimately, this is my hope. Like every parent has a hope. When they start the schooling of the children, it is always 1st rank distinction. Problem is, by the time you have gone a few years, even if he passes, it is fine. <laughs> hmm? If it passes. And that's the same thing. When people come into the church, the leadership also feels, Lord, our desire is this one should be the bride of Christ. After some time, Lord, if he just makes it through, scrapes it in the kingdom of God, have mercy. Okay, But that's not the way it should be. It will be if we value the things which God values. Then we will value value our time with God alone, our prayer time alone, our fellowship with God alone. We will value the word. We value the Holy Spirit speaking to us. We will value the church. We will value the ministry of prayer. We will value fellowship. We will not run away from fellowship. We will run into fellowship because we realize only fellowship can sanctify me. Only fellowship can be if sanctify me. It's because only when I'm in the community of believers, then only the ugly spots in us come out. Come out. Okay, come out. And I mean, we know it. I mean, all of us in ministry know it because it's when the calls come in, un- unstoppable. Through the day and the night, it is first reaction. It's then we realize good behavior and when we take the call, it is the sweetest and the softest of voices. But that is not how we connect before connecting the call. <laughs> so God is saying, it doesn't matter how long you have been in this circuit, the old man is still alive. It may be the same person with the same problem, but you don't cut the call off. You don't, of course you will tell sometimes how long do you want to go in this circle. But you see, but sometimes you think uh, we are helping them. But sometimes God says, no, I am using them to help you. You think you are very patient. But 27 years later, you are still impatient. Impatient. Lord, when will I be patient? When you become like me. What is that? A smoking flax I will not put off. A bruise, reed, I will not break. When you come to that, you know, the disciples walked with Jesus, Jesus, Jesus. They were not patient. They wanted to call down on fire on anybody who did receive their word. Jesus, what kind of people are you? Basically, is upset with them because they haven't learned his character. Learned his character. So please remember, we have to value the things. The world may not understand and the people among us who are not interested may not understand, but we have to stand firm and continue. Ultimately, we are all running our race alone. No, it's not a marathon where everybody runs. The track is not the same. The tracks are different, ordered by God. Because what I am struggling with may not be what you are struggling with. What God wants to straighten in me may not be what you may be a saint in what I am struggling with. Okay. While you may be uh, reprobate in what I don't struggle at all. So, we are not running the same race. We are fighting different battles, though the battle is the same. It's a battle of faith. Second, he knew he not only had a great work that he was doing, he also had a life to be lived out. Right? 1 Timothy 4 and verse 16. Take heed to yourself and to your doctrine. Can I have it in, an um, uh, NIV? NIV will make it a little more cle- clearer. Watch your life and doctrine closely. Okay. So if you look at Nehemiah, he could stand there and speak boldly to all the people is because he loved what he preached. How dare you take usury? Okay. How dare you take? And they couldn't say, oh, but you don't give anybody. He says, I brought money and I'm giving it freely. I'm lending it. But not for usury. I'm helping all these people to go ahead with their lives. So he could, he had the conviction to stand. Okay? He not only preached the word, he was a man who lived the word. This is from where? No, you have to look at why was this man alone be able to stand there when everybody was getting weary and tired. You have to realize. Second thing is that not only did he do a great work, but he was living out that life too. Third, about his identity. Like I said, he had come from Susa, the capital of the Babylonian Empire. He was a cupbearer to the emperor. Cupbearer to the emperor. But he never forgot his real identity in Christ. Inside he knew, it doesn't matter what costume I wear in Babylon and what crowns are on my head and what palace I live in. Inside I'm a Hebrew. Inside I'm a Hebrew. And my city is not Susa. My city is Jerusalem. Walls of Susa are splendid, decorated, everything is super. But the walls of Jerusalem are down. He never forgot his identity. So he never forgot his identity. So what? When he came to Jerusalem, he lived among them as a Hebrew. Look to Hebrews chapter 11, verses 24 and 25. This is the key. By faith, Moses, when he became of age, refused to be called the son of Pharaoh's daughter. Choosing rather to suffer affliction with the people of God than to enjoy the passing pleasures of sin. These are important things which you need. If you want God to move you to another level, it doesn't matter what you are in the world. You'll never forget your identity in Christ. This is who I am. I belong to Christ and this is my identity. No identity. If you look at the entire narrative, nobody calls him Kabber to the emperor. You know he's one among them. And that's the question God is asking. Yes, I may raise you up in the world. I may give you prosperity. I may give you position. I give you all that. But let that not be your identity. Because if you see that as your identity, you will slacken in the work of God. Slacken in the work of God. You will move away from the work of God and the work that God is doing in you. So he never forgot his identity. This is who I am. Okay. And fourth one. Because he had totally dedicated himself to the cause and he heard clearly from God, he was not influenced by others. He was not susceptible to outside influences or pressure because he was absolutely dedicated to the cause and he also heard clearly from God. So he he was a man. Who heard from God who knew exactly what he was doing so they could not pressurize him to change his ways a lot of people pressurize to change their ways it's because they do not have deep-rooted scriptural convictions convictions a lot of people struggle they don't have scriptural conviction that's why I said we have to go into the word of God from Genesis 1 onwards after man is created man is created Male and female. From there onwards you will see. We have to have convictions from the word of God. This is who I am. This is what God says I am. This is who I am as a man. This is who I am as a husband. This is who I am as a father. This is who I am as a child. This is who I am as a friend. every role is defined in scripture. And we need to have deep rooted convictions about it. If you don't have convictions. Then the world keeps on changing. Everything. To the point now, 21st century, you don't have to call your father, father also. Don't call him dad or mom, mother, mom. Everything is being changed. total confusion. And you know why people get so easily confused? Because you do not have deep-rooted convictions from the word of God. And that's where the Western nations fail. They forgot to teach their generation about God. Who are you in Christ? They only talked about the blessings. They don't talk about their identity. Who are you really in Christ? No? so the only so God has a rich man who gave you plenty of money to live the way you want. You know, a nation fell apart, fell apart. And that's what Exodus begins. A Pharaoh rose who did not know Joseph. And after that began trouble. When people rise, a generation rise who do not know their God, they will go into this thing. And so he was absolutely clear. He knew. But above all, he was a man of prayer. He was a man of the word. This is the key. Remember? This we'll see in Acts chapter 6. They became men of word. Yeah, that's okay. Men of word and men of prayer. And Nehemiah was a man who knew his word, the principles of God's word. And he was a man who prayed. So you, you and I, if you want to move ahead, you need these two things. We need to know our word and we need to be intimately connected with God in prayer. Okay? Now we are going to chapter 7, verses 1 to 3. Then it was, when the wall was built, and I had hung the doors, and the gatekeepers, the singers, and the Levites had been appointed, that I gave the charge of Jerusalem to my brother Hanani and Hananiah, the leader of the citadel, for he was a faithful man and feared God more than many. And I said to them, Do not let the gates of Jerusalem be opened until the sun is hot, and while they stand guard, let them shut and bar the doors, and appoint guards from among the inhabitants of Jerusalem, one at his watch station, another in front of his own house. Okay? Now the walls are built, and gates are. But you realize, with this leader, there is no sense of complacency. Absolutely no sense of complacency. Okay? This is one of the things which we need to realize, because we have an enemy. He's called a a roaring lion. He's forever looking for chances to devour our families, our homes, our churches, our lives. So you cannot go to sleep. Or rather, spiritually, you cannot let down your guard. Let down your guard. You have to be very, very watchful. Even after you have finished your task. That doesn't mean walls are up, gates are up. You let down, if you look at this great batsman. You will see after they hit their century. You will see, oh, his hit is 100. You will see that he will take guard again. It's, he says, I've forgotten that I'm starting all over again. He take guard again. Okay. And you will realize that those guys go and hit the second 100 also. You know why? Because they're very, very watchful. Very, now that I've hit Some fellows like Sheva Gandol, after 100, they throw his wicket away. He will go one flash his shot and the next thing the wicket is tumbling. His entire work is gone. Though he made a hundred. Others don't do that. They are very, very watchful. And we have to be very, very careful. You need to realize that is what happened to David. When he reached his peak, he had subdued all the kings. Ark had been brought to Jerusalem. He became complacent. There are still battles to be what, But he thought, I don't have to go for it. It's not worth my fight. So at a time when kings go to war, He stayed. You know what? He was not watchful over him himself. And we need to be very careful. That's what the Bible is talking about. No sense of complacency. Everything is done. What does the first thing say? Gatekeepers. He appointed gatekeepers. Okay? We need to appoint gatekeepers to our soul. We need gatekeepers. We need to be very, very, very sensitive to the Spirit of God who will tell us where, what we say in English, the chings in our armor are. Very, very careful. And we should be always, because nobody will reach perfection till the end, if we can. It's possible, but constantly God. That's why our ears have to be always open Do not. So we need gatekeepers. And second thing, what is the second thing he established? He established worship. You Look at that, what he does. Order, you have to look. First, you need gatekeepers. You need security. Second thing established is singers and the Levites had been appointed. Okay, you need to realize what is God saying, talking about. First thing we need for our children, children, three children are sitting over. The so first thing that we need for our children is security. You can always say if you are. Train your mind like that. When you get into your car, what is the first thing that you do? You put your seat belt in. Though the primary purpose of the car is to take you from one place to another place. But the main intention is that you should reach there in one piece. Not in many pieces. So what is the first thing that you do? You put your seat belt in. Security. The first thing he does is security. The second thing he establishes is he establishes worship establishes worship. In John chapter 4 verses 23 and 24 The hour is coming and now when true worshippers will worship the Father in spirit and in truth for Father is seeking such to worship Him. God is spirit and those who worship Him must worship Him in spirit and truth. Two things are brought over there. The Holy Spirit is brought over there. Our spirit is brought over there. And truth, which is the word of God, is brought there. First thing God wants to establish. The primary thing God wants to make us is he wants to make us into worshipers. Okay, doesn't matter how great the word was. doesn't matter how great the prayer was. Ultimately, what is that people enjoy? Fellowship. That is the life of a family or a church at home. Food may be fantastic. Father may have a great job. But there could be no life in the home. But if there is life in the home, even if the father doesn't have a great job, and the food is very simple, people are very happy inside. Because there is life. There is life. Okay? So you need to realize what God is talking about. The counterpart of our relationship with one another, which is called fellowship, is Worship towards God. Worship towards God and fellowship with man are the two pillars on which the church is built. Okay? And built. So there is You have to look at it. You have to look at it in the order that it is written over there. What Nehemiah did. What did he do? He secured the place and he instituted worship. We need to have both. Why are we securing our lives? So that we can be true worshippers. My life is very secure if there is still no worship. The security means nothing. Means nothing. Imagine a house, you know, with all big house. You have walls, you have security, you have dogs, you have electrified fence and all, but inside the house, there is no life. What's the point of security? What are you guarding? What are you guarding? Right, so God talks about these two things. He has come to give us life and life in abundance. Secure your life and let there be life, and life flows out of worship because we are created to worship. Okay, so fundamental principles in the two verses, and then we go back to verse two of chapter seven. Yeah, I gave the charge of Jerusalem to my brother Hanani and Haneah, the leader of the citadel. So it's making very clear I'm here for a season. (laughs) I gave my word to the king. I'm here for a season. I'm not here to, like they said, establish myself as king, have five prophets declare you are king. I haven't come for any of those things. (laughs) Okay. I have come here with one commitment. I will rebuild the walls of Jerusalem, hang the gates. Once my work is over, I will hand it over. Okay. He handed it over to two people, but one was his brother, but that was not the reason he gave it to those two people. The reason is that two incredible combination. They were faithful. And fearful. Had the fear of God. That is the key. Solomon is a faithful man who can find. A faithful and a man who fears God who can find. Okay. So two incredible qualities God is showing us over there. God says, you know what? World's leaders are different. God's leaders are different. If you look at Moses, consider the most faithful among all men after Jesus, He's considered, he was both faithful and he was also fearful. He feared God. The people did not, but he feared God. Okay? He was a faithful man and he was a man uh, who feared God. And you need to realize that, you know. Deborah was a faithful woman, but she was a woman also who feared God. That's why she never usurped Barak's position. She never would do that. She says, you are supposed to lead, not me. I fear God. I know God's order. I know what he has called me to do. I also know very well what he has not called me to do. That is what fear does. Fear does two things. Fear makes you do what God has called you to do. And fear also causes you not to do. That is what happened to Uzziah. When he lost the fear of God, he stepped in and started doing things which he was not supposed to do. And he got judged by that. Heir and sons also. You know why? But there was no fear of God. So that's the two things God is talking about. You see, these verses are all loaded, Nehemiah. Just two verses we are looking at so far, right? What did he do? He wanted people who are faithful, faithful to God, and therefore faithful to man. You cannot be faithful to man alone and say and be faithful to God. You cannot be. You have to be faithful to God first. Okay, faithful to God. That's the most important thing. It's not the second one, more important. Because men may not understand your faithfulness, but God will. And you have to be faithful before God. You see, you can be faithful to men and everybody will say you are the best and the greatest and when you can be unfaithful to God. Okay. If you give people what they want, they will say you are the most faithful man around and God could be displeased with you. But if you are faithful to God and you give to people what they need and even if they are unhappy with you, God still calls you faithful. Okay. God did not give through Moses what the people wanted couple of times he gave, and then it came out of their nostrils. But he gave them what the people needed. And people did not like Moses' leadership at all. They wanted a leader like Aaron. Who gave them what they want? What do you want? Calf? You tell me the animal, I can make it. No problem at all. So They wanted a leader like Aaron. But God wanted a leader like Moses. So we have to be faithful to God. And these are a combination. You cannot be faithful to God if you are not fearful. And if you are fearful, you have the fear of God, you will also be faithful. So it's an awesome combination. And after that, verse 3. He told them, do not let the gates of Jerusalem be open until the sun is hot. And while they stand guard, let them shut and bar the doors and appoint guards from among the inhabitants of Jerusalem. One at his watch station, another in front of his own house. He said, you know what? Usually gates are open early in the morning. He says, don't do that. Don't do that. You know, we are very weak inside. We don't have reinforcements, nothing very weak inside. You open early in the morning if there is a sneak attack. We will be overwhelmed. So wait till it is hot in the morning so that nobody will come to attack us. The sun is very, very hot. Wait till then. Don't open up. Why? Because if you open up early in the morning and there is an attack when people, most people are asleep, how do you fight? Because the enemy comes when people are asleep. Almost all fortresses and citadels in ancient history was taken during the night or early morning. Between 12 to 3, 3, 4, 5. Why? Because that's when you are the drowsiest and the weakest and that's when the enemy attacks. In real modern warfare also, it's always done during that time. You want an attack, that's the time they will attack you. That's when they will attack you. So he's saying, don't open the gates. Don't open the gates. And what is he tra- trying to tell us? He says, you know what, you need to be very, very aware. Of our weaknesses. We need to be very, very aware, no? Everybody's timetable is not the same. Everybody doesn't work the same hours in, like in, in ancient days. After electricity came in and automation came in. Everybody's life has gotten, there is no day or night. We all have become city banks. City never sleeps. Hmm? We have become like, so each one needs to know his hours. You know, needs to know his hours. And we need to be very, very careful. When we open our gates, I said gates are open to let people in, meaning you do not go out into the world at hours you know you are vulnerable. That's what gates means. Gates means praise. The function of a gate is that people go out. You should be very, very, very careful when you go into the world. I'm not talking about going to work. I'm talking about going into the world. And everybody knows what it is to go into the world. You're going for something that is connected with the world. Be careful about the hours you go. Okay? When the sun is hot, the sun has an risen very nice. Sun has many connotations in the Bible. Psalm 37 says, He shall make the justice of your cause shine like this. Noonday sons, Malachi 4 will say, the sun of righteousness shall rise with healing under his wings. Okay. Meaning, you should go out into the world when you are full of the Spirit of God. That's what it means. So that you are not, you are not uh, tempted by the world. No? Meaning, before going to the world, then spend 15 minutes praying in the spirit and you feel the anointing all over, go over in the world. They will be convicted and you will be convinced. There is nothing in this world I need. Nothing in this world. God says, don't take these things lightly. No, the world is not your friend. It is your enemy. And the devil works through the world. That is what happened to Jesus, you see. When the father introduced Jesus to the world, he introduced the world to Jesus through the devil. In an instant, he took him to the mountain and showed him all the kingdoms of this world and the glory. Jesus wasn't touched at all because of the time of fasting. He has been fasting and praying for 40 days and 40 nights. So when the world like we have never seen, nobody has ever seen that like Jesus saw, so its entire glory was revealed to him. It didn't bother him at all. He said, no big deal. Doesn't affect me at all. Because why? The sun was hot on him. The anointing was hot on him. The Spirit of God was all over him and it didn't bother him at all. And we need to learn and we need to teach our children too. You know what? Because we are learning things which we did not know. A lot of things we did not know. How to go into the world. How to be secure. What this is all about. And you know what? We teach and we go and we practice. And you go, you see, you can go. I was hearing a message in the morning where Pastor Kent was saying that. He says, you know, if somebody gives me a million dollar home, I will enjoy it. But my joy comes from the Lord. I will enjoy everything God gives but that is not where my joy lies. My joy lies in God. Okay. When our joy lies in something else, then the devil can tempt us. But if our joy lies in God, God can give us anything, and it doesn't affect us. Doesn't affect at all. So you can leave suicide in an instant and live in the trenches for months together. And then go back to Susa and be untouched by this or that because your joy is coming from the Lord. Okay, And that's what God is talking about. We need to understand where he is moving us. So here he says, be watchful, be watchful. Don't let the gates of Jerusalem be open until the sun is hot. We are the Jerusalem. The church is the Jerusalem. No, we are the body of Christ. When you're opening up the gates to the outside world, be very care very sure the fire of God is burning in your bones. Bones. Fire of God. Meaning when does the sun get hot? Like now it's nine thirty in the morning. But when you woke up in the morning, I mean like all those who those woke up in the morning at 4 or 3.30, it was cool. It was very pleasant, very pleasant. 6 also, it was very pleasant. 6.30 also, it was pleasant. 7 also, it was pleasant. But now it is hot. But the question is, what did you do from, let us say, you woke at 5 o'clock. What did you do from 5 onwards? What did you do? Did you allow the Spirit of God to heat you up? What did you listen to? You could do whatever you are working, but your ears are still open. What did you listen to? Just think for a minute. What did you listen to during these two or three hours God gave you in the morning? You have two choices. You could listen to music. You could listen to the word or a combination of both. It can be anything. But you could choose something that was godly, that was of God. And you know what? By the time the sun is hot, you are ready. You are ready. You are ready. If you are going to work, you are ready. You go to work at 8 o'clock or 9 o'clock. But you are ready because you have warmed up your spirit. And you are ready to face the world. Okay. And when you come back, when you come back from work, practical things, when you come back from work, that's what Jesus taught. He washed their feet. His last, we see, had many, many levels of teaching is that. But one of the things he did, and Peter said, You cannot wash my feet. Then he said, If I don't wash my feet, you will have no part of me. Then he said, Then give me a bath. He says, You already had one. Baptism is enough. So what is a feet? The feet, especially in their culture, and even now. Feet is the part of your body that goes into the world. When you come back, it's a feet that is dirt. That is why you have this sit jar sitting outside with water. But what's the spiritual implication? There is a spiritual feet in our mind which gathers the dust of the world. And When you come back home, the first thing you need to do is wash it away. And I, when I teach in missions, I always tell them, all of you are sitting and working, right? When you come back home, the first thing you need to do, yes, have your tea, coffee and all. What do you do? You put your shoes outside, whatever. Put on a word or scripture or music, which is worship. You know what? And then sit and have your tea. By the time you have listened for half an hour, 45 minutes, it has washed away everything of the world. You picked up consciously and unconsciously. Your feet are clean feet are clean. We do these two two things in the morning and the evening. This is our morning sacrifice where we prepare to go into the world. This is our evening sacrifice where we cleanse ourselves of the world. God says, you can walk with me. You can walk with me. These are practical things. Anybody can do it. Especially that is why to whom much is given. In our generation so much has been given. Poor Apostle Paul, uh, John in the island of Patmos probably did not even have a Bible with him. All he had was what was in his mind with the Holy Spirit. And he probably was not a great singer either. Right? Imagine what we have, what is given to us, the, the technology God has released upon us, upon us. When the writer of Hebrews is talking about a cloud of witnesses, our age it is clouds and clouds and clouds of witnesses. Two thousand years of witnesses have been added onto us. And God says, I've given all this to you and what do you do with this simple Practical things, which becomes our discipline, becomes our discipline. No, and we have headphones. You know, like headphones are such a blessing mm-hmm. because when I wake up, I don't have to disturb anybody. No, all days we have to listen. You will be wondering okay, who will wake up. No, we don't. But now it is very easy to put your headphone on. You can wake up when you want. You can worship, listen to something without disturbing anybody in the entire household. You know, God has given us so much how we begin, how we end, and how we go into the world to do our work. And God says, do we make use of all these things? It's a practical lesson from the book of Nehemiah, how we apply these principles into our life. And then, he he put guards over there at at the points on the wall, also in front of the house, because he knows the enemy. You have to be extra careful, especially once a church or your life is strong. The walls are built. You have to be very, very careful. The enemy is not going to come and attack broken down houses. He's not going to come and attack broken down houses. Because he says there's nothing there to take anyway. He's going to come after well-built houses. So if you think, that's what the Bible says, if any man thinks he stands, beware lest he falls. So when you think you are strong, you should pray more. And not less. He should meditate on the word more and not less. Okay. Yes, fasta Vijay. It is not leaven, that is about. Okay, so be very watchful about these things. These are simple, okay? Therefore, let him who thinks he stands take heed lest he falls. Okay. Why I'm telling you is that because in ministry I have noticed big men of God. Met many of them. They preach the same message. Nothing has changed. You know what? You listen to this man, you know this man's life, spiritual life has gone down, though he has risen in position in the church. Why? Because he's not spending time more now in this prayer and in the word. Instead, he's Spending less because, as we say in English, he thinks he has arrived. And nobody arrives. <coughs> nobody arrives. Nobody arrives. This is the spiritual barometer. If you know you are truly growing in the Lord, all you have to look into your life and see, am I spending more time with God or less time with God? Because if you are growing in the Lord, you actually end up spending more and more time In the things of God. I'm not talking in terms of work, ministry. But the time you spend with God. Because you realize the more you grow, the less you know. Actual truth. The more you grow in the Lord, you actually are aware, the less you know. It's somebody who told Isaac Newton as how... Great super he was, you know, and his response was that he took a bucket of water from the sea and he says, From all the knowledge of God, I have I have only acquired this much. The rest unknown is like the ocean out. Okay. And this is a sign, this is the true sign. Okay, and we have to guard our hearts, that's what he is talking about. And then let us go to the last portion and then we'll go into prayer. Verse four and five. Or maybe we'll stop there and pray because 4 and 5 is a huge. We will think what is there in 4 and 5, but 4 and 5 is huge. Let's read them anyway. Verse 4 and 5. The city was large and spacious, but the people in it were few. and The houses were not rebuilt. Then my God put it into my heart to gather the nobles, the rulers, and the people that they may be registered by genealogy. And I found a register of genealogy of Those who had come in the first return and found written in it. The city is huge, spacious, big, massive. And very few people in it. But God put it into my heart. Bring the book of genealogy of the people who came back. And I have to go through it to decide who will be allowed in. Church may be very large. You may have plenty of space because the kingdom of God is very large, plenty of space. But be very sure everybody who gets in through the gates is born again. Really born of God. Be very, very careful. They are born of God. Church is not a marketplace. Church is a place for God's children. We welcome everybody. We serve everybody. But... They are very, very aware of the distinction that whether you are born again or not in Acts chapter 2. Because if Jerusalem is the city of God, then the people must belong to God. 2 words 41 and 42, then 44. 41, 42. Yeah, 41 and 42. Acts chapter 2, 41 42. Then those who gladly received His word were baptized. And that day about 3,000 souls were added to them. There was 120 who were separated unto God upon whom the Spirit came. And 3,000 were added, only those who got baptized. Okay. They received the word. They received the Spirit. They went through the baptism. And three, now they have a membership of three thousand one hundred and twenty among hundreds of thousands. That is the church. In verse forty-four, <coughs> now all who believed were together. Not all were together. <coughs> okay, only those who believe can be together. Okay, all those who believe—they were called believers—who were together, the believers. Others were not. Okay. So if we don't mind people coming to church, people should come to church. You can invite people to church. But remember, only those who believe will stay together. Because they are united by a common thing. They know they are born of God. And they believe in the same things. So they were together. When you come to verse 47, what does the word of God say there? Praising God, having favor with all the people. And Lord added to the church. Daily, those who are being saved. So you need to be in God's book, His genealogy. You need to be, you and I need to be in God's. Because the church is a body of believers. If others come, we welcome them, we serve them. But we do not employ them. We don't employ them. If you look at verse 61, from there all the way to verse 61 in Nehemiah 7, is about uh, the people who came by name, name, name. These were the ones who came from Telemela. Okay, leave the names. But they could not identify their father's house, nor their lineage, whether they were of Israel. They may be. I'm not saying they aren't. See, in principle, I accept the CAA. You understand what's happening in India? In principle, I accept It should be there. It should be there. There should be a distinction in every country who is a citizen and who is not a citizen. In principle, I don't I don't like their motive, but I like the idea. There should be a register of citizens of India. Like there should be a register of citizens of every country because one day there is a register of citizens of heaven. And if your name is not in that register, you are thrown straight into the lake of fire. What is true in heaven should be true on earth too. True on earth too. And they are saying. They are saying, we are of the lineage of Israel, but says, where is the record? Right? There was a man at the wedding feast, but the Lord came and said, where is your wedding clothes? He said, throw him, tie him and throw him in the outer darkness. He made it till the wedding feast. I don't know how he sneaked through. (laughs) From the wedding feast, he's thrown out. Why? Because he's still not of the lineage. Okay, so God makes these things very, very, very clear. Because this has been the problem. This has been the problem. The whole idea of the devil is to see that you don't need any of these things. Any of these things. Okay. Can you, can you prove your lineage? They can't prove their lineage, right? They cannot prove their lineage. Okay. They cannot prove their lineage. So you need, we need to understand that there are, once you enter into that lineage, once you enter into that citizenship of the kingdom of God, then our loyalty is to the king and to the kingdom. This is not open walls and open borders. You know what? People creep into nations who have no loyalty to that to that country. That's what's happening in the US. No? When you change your citizenship and you swear allegiance to the flag after that, you should be loyal to that country. Loyalty is that country. You should see yourself as a part of that country and should be loyal, and not go to that country, and start your own enclave of the country you left over there, and that is what happens, you know, people who are not saved, they come into the church, they act like they are Christians, and little like they bring the world in, and make an enclave of the world, that is what happened with the first generation, the mixed multitude came with them, what did they left Egypt, and they were trying to build a Egypt in the community of Israel. These principles apply, and there were a lot of things which President Trump said was true, Absolutely true. You know, they were stamping on the American flag. They were didn't you know they, all kinds of things they were doing about it, you no, know, which wouldn't happen in no other country. <laughs> These people who stamp on the flags in America from the countries they came in, if they did it in their own country, they would be in prison. This is the abuse of liberty. Think about somebody stamping a flag of India in India. It's finished. They knelt for the National Anthem. right? Try that in India, when the National Anthem is played. Doesn't everybody stand up? Absolutely. Everybody stand. Even in movie theaters, people stand up. Right? And we stop. We know many times when we are passing through and all, when the National Anthem is playing in the school, people automatically stop. Nobody has to tell. Them. They stop. They know that's my country, this is our anthem. We stop. We love our country, we respect our country. It doesn't matter who rules. They don't represent the country. We don't see the country with you. We may not like the government, we may like the dispensation, but we love our country. We love our country, and we stand for that country. You know, these are the principles he's talking about. You know what? The people who don't do these things, it doesn't matter which country they live in. They are not of the genealogy. They are not of the genealogy. They may be be a first generation or or grandfather and great-grandfather came with that uh, Mayflower, this thing, okay? But if you do not stand for your flag and you're standing, you're stamping on the flag, you know what? You are not an American. In your spirit, you're not an American. You're an you still an illegal immigrant who doesn't love your country or any country for that matter. And the same thing applies even more to the kingdom of God. They a loyalty to the king and a loyalty to the kingdom of God. And God says, when I check your genealogy, will you be found? And there were people who did not have it. There were people who did not have it. And they were thrown out or they were kept out. And that's what God is talking about. And it's even more interesting. Come to verse 63 and 64. And of the priests, the sons of Havaya, okay, the sons of Berzali, okay, were called by their name. And 64. These sought their listing among those who were registered by genealogy, but it was not found. Therefore, they were excluded from the priesthood as defiled. You need a person like Nehemiah. They are all the priests. He said, wait a second. They are all priests. Let us check the register. Meaning they are all in ministry. Priests, reverend, most reverend, right reverend, all titles. I am telling you how many people in ministry I have met in my life who were not born again. Not born, again. not born again. They're all in ministry. They also have degrees. I told you about an about an incident where I was preaching to a whole set of priests and to the bishop. And God always told me whenever you preach, especially people in ministry, start from John chapter three. So I also told them I will begin from John chapter three and then go to the topic you have given because first I need to be very sure you are born again. They mm, listened. Then as I was going through references, I looked. Another bishop is sitting there in his costume. And you know what over there? He is not able to find the books. He knew I was looking at him. Then slowly he closed the Bible and kept. Do you remember Albert's wedding? (laughs) Do you remember Albert's wedding? Everybody knows Albert's wedding. Okay. The committee is sitting, the pastoral committee is sitting over there and the chairperson and the secretary has been given two readings. When they came to read, they couldn't find the portion. <laughs> These are the guys who sit there and control the pastor. You can go here, you cannot go there, you should be preached. These are the ones who control the church. But when they were given two readings, like one I think was from Ephesians 5, they did not know where Ephesians was. See, we see these pictures played out everywhere. You know what? It was not found. Therefore, they were excluded from priesthood as defiled. Defiled. And the day and hour is coming. God is going to exclude a lot of priests out as defiled. He says, you know what? You preached in my name, but I do not know you. You did things in my name. I do not know you. For you are reprobates. You are lawless. You are not. So the Bible is there. And Nehemiah sets the pattern what Jesus is talking about. Nehemiah had the spirit of Christ in him. And that's what the Bible is talking about. Okay? But there was an exception. Exception is this, 65. (coughs) The governor said to them that they should not eat of the most holy things till a priest could consult the Urim and the Thummim. The governor said, wait. There is will be a man will be able to include you. This is the man who can consult the Urim and the Thummim. What overrules everything is the Spirit of God. Basically, Urim and Thummim is understanding the mind of God, the revelation of God. In the New Covenant, what happens? It is the Spirit of God. The Spirit of God overrules everything. There is only one person who knows the mind of God. So you will see, that's why I love people like Timothy Dixon. You know what? These are men of God who have no degrees, no titles, no ordination, but the Spirit of God is upon them. Spirit of God is absolutely clear the Spirit of God is upon them. God says, you know what? You will eat of my food. So ultimately you may not be sanctioned by the religious system, but Nicodemus will come in the night to listen to somebody who was not ordained by the religious system called Jesus. He was not ordained. John the Baptist was not ordained. And the Pharisees and all came there to listen to him. The crowds were coming. Why did they come over to him? Is he ordained? Is he part of the system? No. Is Jesus part of the system? No, he's not. Is he from the tribe of Levi? No, he's not. And they came and asked, "Mm, On what authority do you speak? (laughs) Jesus said, you tell me on what authority do you speak? That was one of the questions a bishop asked me once. Don't you believe in ordination? I said, I do, but I believe more in the anointing. Effort. He said, okay. He didn't want to go further because he didn't want to ask more about the anointing than he would have been in a problem. So he he left me over there. Okay, Until a priest could consult the Urim and the thom- Let's go to Mark chapter 2, 25, 26, and then we will pray. He said to them, Have you never read what David did when he was in need and hungry, when he and those with him went into the house of God in the days of Abiyadar, the high priest? So don't bring, home oh, Bible is wrong. Abiyadar is the high priest, but Ahimelech is the priest there, one of the priests under. So we'll say also the Bible is wrong. But he's talking the days of Abiathar, the high priest, not that he went to Abiyadar, okay? If you look at the parallel portion in the Old Testament. And ate the shewbread, which is not lawful to eat except for the priest, and also gave some to those who were with him. This is bringing something. Look at this simple thing, okay? You have to understand principles in the kingdom of God. Saul offered a sacrifice and he was disqualified just meant for priests to do. Uzziah went and tried to offer a sacrifice and he was cast out of the temple with leprosy. David went beyond that. He went in and ate the shoe bread. Nothing happened to him. Is God partial? God is not partial. God says, I look into the spirit of a man. That man is a priest, though he's not from the tribe of Levi. He's from the tribe of Judah. But when he did something, for which others were punished. He was not. You know why? Because he in the heart I looked, he was always a priest. And you will always see David actually functioning as a priest and not as a king. Always. When the ark is brought on, he is a priest. Every time all his songs are priestly songs. Okay, though he's a king, his spirit is the spirit of a priest. And that's what God is talking about. When you have the Urim and the thum in the mind of Christ, God will say, you know what? I will raise up the tabernacle of David in the last days. What does it mean? In the tabernacle of David will be a dwelling place for people who are all priests in their spirit. Priests in their spirit. They will have a priestly anointing. They will be serving God. They will be worshipping God. They will know who I am. We are a kingdom of priests. Isn't that what Revelation says? (laughs) We shall be a kingdom of priests. A kingdom of priests unto me. That was God's original calling for (coughs) what? Israel, you shall be for me a kingdom of priests. And God will have it in the new covenant. So when the Urim and the Thummim comes, meaning when this revelation of the Holy Spirit, the anointing of the Holy Spirit comes upon us, everybody becomes a priest. Our functions may be different, but everybody has a priestly anointing. Okay, People may not accept us because we are not in the genealogy. And that is important genealogy is important. You need to be born again. But we may not be born again or according to the traditions and the customs of the main line churches. But God says those things don't matter anymore. I will decide who's born again. I will decide who will be anointed because my spirit will fall upon all flesh. And your men and your women, old and young, shall prophesy. So there is a Different parameter into which it is going. And those are the revelations in the book of Nehemiah we are studying. So, summing it up, prepare ourselves. Because the day and the hour, probably the prophets all looked forward to, and the apostles looked forward to, is here. It's very close. God is going to pour out your spirit. And He has His people reserved for every season. That's why I said... No one should ever think you were born at the wrong time. Everyone is born at God's right time for that generation. And if we are going to be the last generation, I don't know. Every generation thought they were the last generation. But if we are going to be the last generation, that is a generation that will have the greatest outpouring and also the greatest judgment. And God says, you can choose. You can choose. And that's how we pray and that's how we wait for it to come. Let's go to prayer now. So keeping that in mind, what we will do is we'll trust the Lord. We will pray, because that's what we are doing. We are praying, Lord, prepare vessels around the world. And God is raising up simple people, simple people. I love to hear them. It's not because they're giving great revelations or anything, but the simplicity of their spirit. You know, these are genuine men. He finished his truck driving. He's back in his home. Finished. He gave up that. After so many years, because the Lord told him, it's over for you. Now you are into ministry. Just thank you, Lord. We just thank you. We just yes. praise you. We just worship you, Lord. Thank you. Thank you, Father. Thank you, Lord. Thank you. Thank you, Lord. Oh, Father, help us to know, Lord, we are all part of the same body. One body, different parts, called to do different things. It is the same spirit. It is the same Lord. And it is the same God. And above all, Father, I pray nobody will look at the work God has committed them into their hands as a small work. It is a great work. Even if it is to usher people, to welcome people, to cook for people, to take Sunday school, to visit somebody, to help somebody. Whatever is laid on your heart by God, see it as a great work. Because the great God laid it upon your heart. Everyone, Lord. Millions and millions in the kingdom of God are in the ministry of helps, but that too is of God. Let them do it unto God as they serve their mankind, their fellow brothers and sisters. Those who are called to pray, never seen by mankind. Men and women may never see you, never notice you, but you know you have been called to be an intercessor. Let them see that as a great work. Those who have been called to preach give all their heart into preparation and to receive the anointing and to put out the word of God clearly under the power of the Holy Spirit as a great work. For only when we see it as a great work will we prepare and ask for the anointing. Everybody, even little children here, when the parents tell them to do study, to do their work, they will see it as a great work. Not that preparing for a career in the world, but they are learning the principles of the kingdom to serve God one day in the world. There is nothing small in the kingdom of God. Every work is great. Let them be dedicated to that cause. Let them be very clear of our identity. As Paul said, yes, we live in India. The people who live in different countries, in different parts of the world, but our citizenship is of heaven. And on earth, we are not just aliens and pilgrims. We are also ambassadors of Christ. We represent our king and his kingdom here. I pray, Lord, people will get these truths deep in and we will live in it, Lord, each day. Touch, Lord, touch today. Touch, Lord. You're breaking down. You're breaking down the walls of the enemy even as you're building up the walls of your church. You're breaking down the walls of Jericho. It it is breaking down. It is falling. It will crash. Babylon will crash in one hour. Babylon will crash in one hour. It will crash. It will crash. The workers of iniquity will be exposed and you will take them out. The traitors of the souls and the bodies of men, women, and children will be caught and they will be taken out. Yes, Lord. For the first time today in so many years, I heard a servant of God speak what actually is happening, which nobody dared to speak. It is the trafficking of children. It is the trafficking of children, their bodies, for sacrifice and for sex, for power and many heads will roll in the weeks and months to come. God will expose the wicked, evil men and women who have climbed up the ladder of success over the dead bodies of children. It was an industry with their hunger for power. There was only one Manasseh in Israel, but there are thousands of Manassehs in the world today, men and women. And God is telling you, Repent before it is too late. Repent before it is too late. For many, many innocent lives were lost. For your greed, for power. Your lust for power. And you're gathering even now. This night in many parts of the world. Even now you're gathered in your wicked habitations. You're gathered in your wicked habitations plotting and planning evil, wickedness. The fire of God will consume you. It will destroy you. It will destroy every one of you. Arise, O God. Let your enemies be scattered. Arise, O God, today. Arise. It's exactly a month, a year, Lord, today, since this pandemic was released and the lockdown began in this nation. One year, one year, But father, your work is only beginning. The hand of God is only rising now against his enemies. He gave us one year, the world one year to repent. Now he is rising. The hand of judgment will come heavy upon those who have inflicted so much pain and sorrow and misery and death upon innocent and ignorant people all around the world. You planned this out. You brought this mayhem for your lust of power. And many, many have died. Millions have died. And God says, Vengeance is mine. I will repair. Vengeance is mine. I will repair. Arise, O God. Arise, O God. Protect your inheritance, O Lord. Guard your inheritance, O Lord. For we are weak, but you are strong. O God who speaks and stands up for those who cannot stand for themselves, those who cannot defend themselves, arise, O God. The slaughter of children need to stop, O oh Lord. It has to stop. The abuse of the innocent, children and women, young boys, girls and women, has to stop, O oh Lord. It should be given over to the altar of wicked men and women for the lust of power. Arise, God, arise. Every nation has washed their hands in this guilt. So Babylon, her cup is gold, but full of filthiness of her adulteries, of her iniquities, of murder. God is arising and he's going to pour out his wrath upon Babylon. You know who you are, every one of you. And your judgment is very close. Very close. God will take you all out take you all out the day of restoration is very close the third day is here the third day is almost here and it is the year of God's restoration it is the beginning of the reign of Christ on earth and that day is coming it's dawning very close God has only one word to the world repent otherwise you will be no more Trust the church. Awaken the church, Lord. Let them know what they can do if their heart is stayed on you. One man rebuild the temple. Rebuild the walls of Jerusalem. One man. Because his heart was stayed on you and your purpose. One woman we heard yesterday, an unseen, unknown woman called Rizbah, awakened the conscience of the king and a nation. And an entire royal family had a royal funeral. Because one woman stood her ground. And God stayed his hand. He refused to send rain upon that land. Until the king had answered. What that mother was crying for. One Shunammite woman forced Elisha to follow her. And caused him to plead to God to restore her life back to death see the power of one for our God is one all you look for is one man or one woman who will stand in the breach to repair their home to repair a church to repair a nation all it takes is one today God is asking will you be that one for if God is with us and God is for us who can be against us stand with confidence today I can do all things through Christ Jesus who strengthens me is what the Apostle said while in chains in prison. We need to be able to say yes, I too can do all things through Christ Jesus who strengthens me. Christ is sufficient. Don't give in. Don't give up. Stand and fight for your homes. Fight for your nations. For it is not over until God says it is over. All these wicked rulers in one moment God can take them out. In one moment God can replace the rulers. For everything is in God's hands. He removes kings and he appoints kings. Life and death is in God's hands. He causes one to go to the grave and he raises one from the death. It is both God. We exalt you today, Lord. We lift you up. We magnify. We will not look what we see with our physical eyes. We look with the eyes of faith. Nothing, absolutely nothing is impossible with God. It's not over in U.S. It is not over in U.S. Lord of churches have folded up left their prayer closet saying it is over it is not over it is not over God's hand we will not shorten by our unbelief we will believe God will move over that land he will change everything in a moment for God will not give up on that nation the last bastion of faith on earth he will not give up on that nation it is not over. It is not over. They can make new laws. All those laws will be overturned by God. Because ultimately He is the lawgiver. And His law and His word is established forever. Presidents will be changed. The Congress will be changed. The Senate will be changed. Justices, if they don't bend their knee, will be changed. God can change everything. And he will. He will. He will do it. So we stand firm Lord. Even in this nation we stand firm. When the enemy comes in like a flood. The spirit of the Lord will raise up a standard against him. That's what we appeal to the spirit of God. Arise of God. Move a spirit of God over the nations of this world. The wicked rulers have come. They have taken counsel. The rage against the son of God. But we know our God sits at his throne and he laughs. Who can contend with God? Who has won with God? No one has. He's a man of war. He will throw both the rider and the horse into the sea. The chariots will be swallowed when the waters break over their heads. The armies of this world are nothing before God. God will blow from his nostrils and they will be there no more. Arise, O God. Arise, O God. Arise, O God. Hear the cry of your bride on earth. Arise, O God. Because the enemy has come to destroy her. But you said in your word, He who touches you touches the apple of mine eye. Arise, O God. Arise.